The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Just last weekend, I was at the Miami Book Fair. I'd been invited to speak about my new book, The Family Outing, and I knew almost no one there. As I walked through the hotel lobby, I saw all of these famous writers, people I loved, people like Danny Shapiro and Billy Porter. That's right, Billy frickin' Porter, because he wrote a memoir last year. And I thought, this is so cool, I should go introduce myself to all these people. But instead... I don't know, I got nervous. I skipped the author party. I brought pizza to my hotel room. I hid out. The next day, when I went to my panel discussion, I mentioned this to another author on the panel. And she smiled and she nodded. I know what you mean, she said. It's like incredible imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, it can be so crippling. I mean, look, I belonged in the room. I'd written a book. I had been invited. But the more attention I got, the more I wanted to crawl into my skin, the more I felt like I didn't deserve it or something. I don't know. My go-to resource for understanding anything like this is Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin. Lisa and her husband, Rich, they wrote a book about imposter syndrome several years ago. I had her on the show in 2020, and her advice on how to understand and confront imposter syndrome remains one of the episodes people listen to most. Now Lisa and Rich have a new project. It's a workbook, and it's called Your Unstoppable Greatness. I kind of love that title, because think about it. Your Unstoppable Greatness. It's all about learning to build the workplace culture that you yearn for. And like their first book, it's grounded in rigorous research. When they offer tips, it's because they know these tips will be effective. So I invited Lisa into the studios, and I do mean in-person in. She came to the Empire State Building where we recorded this episode. It was marvelous to be in person together. Here's Lisa. So imposter syndrome is this experience when you are skilled, experienced, credentialed, qualified, but yet haven't internalized any of those things. And as a result of not internalizing them, you fear that everyone's going to find out that you're a fraud. As a result of that fear of being found out as a fraud, you then either overwork or self-sabotage to avoid that moment of revelation. And that leads to typically to burnout and to overfunctioning um, and in a way, in a method to escape being found out. And you just kind of get caught in these imposter cycles over and over again. You can never actually get an accurate read on your contributions. You are always so connected to the idea that you don't belong in the company of the people you find yourself in that it can eventually actually mean that you don't belong in the company you find yourself in. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. So um, I want to talk about a bunch of the things that came up in your book, so many things that I actually made a list, which I don't always do. But I want to start with the dynamics of imposter syndrome. In fact, the dynamics of office culture and our interpersonal relationships with the people we work with, uh, they don't come out of nowhere. They start with what we know and intuit about how relationships work. They're connected to a family system, right? Yeah. 
I wonder if you might um, speak a little bit about those connections. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that was really important with this book about talking about systems was that it always seems so mysterious, the system, the system. I don't know how to operate within the system. I don't know the politics of the system. And some of what we were so interested in trying to do with this book was help people to understand the system and understand both a healthy system and a well-functioning system, but also systems that actually reinforce your imposter syndrome. And so because imposter syndrome gets started in your early childhood experiences, it's not surprising that because systems are often founded on these early dynamics and these ideas of authority that come from our parents and things like that, that we mimic that in the workplace. So then we then create an environment or we choose environments or we prefer environments that reinforce these dynamics very much unconsciously, just because they're familiar, they're routine, they happen over and over again, we just blindly kind of like lean into them in a way that we wanted to make conscious in this book. Right. And so in order to do the work at work, you actually have to personally do the work on yourself to understand yourself, right? Yeah, especially with dynamics that keep repeating themselves and feel particularly frustrating or particularly problematic for you that you're like, every workplace I have this kind of boss or every workplace I run into this kind of situation, it's usually not an accident. We call it the repetition compulsion. You're compulsed to repeat something until you actually find some way to heal from it. And so that's what the book is really focused on is looking at some of not completely, but one piece of the book is focused on looking at, you know, early family dynamics that were common for you and how they actually show up in your workplace, either through the way that you show up, the way that leadership shows up, the way that you interact with leadership, all of those pieces. And I should say here, you keep saying we as you talk about your your book, and that's because I didn't mention right at the top that your co-author is also a previous guest on Hello Monday, your husband. Rich Orbe Austin. Yeah. What was it like to write with your husband? It's funny. A lot of people ask us what it's like to work together because we do so much together. Um, And it's funny. We almost don't know what it's like not to work together because we met uh, working together at a career center. So we were working on issues of career and career development. And he's actually the one who helped me kind of burgeon my love for the idea of career. I used to hate it. Um, I thought it was just a necessary evil of my profession. And he helped connect it for me to the thing that I love more than anything, which is identity. And so he kept, he connected it for me like this, that in essence, you know, work identity is very fundamental to understanding people. And he, he often would say the professional is personal, the personal professional. There's this interplay with your personal life and your professional life that is so important and so rich and so like full of places to explore and to change. And so he helped me to understand that that made me actually really love the work. Um, that's so fundamental to what Hello Monday is about. You know, we're ostensibly a, a show about work, about careers. Yeah. Um, but really at the heart of what we're talking about is about why people do any of the things they do. And of course, most of us, we need to work. And for most of us, again, not all of us, that work ladders up into the idea of a career. Yeah. Right. So you talk about toxic systems. And I want to step back and ask, how do you identify a toxic work culture? I think for us in the book, it was really focusing on the idea of what becomes toxic for somebody with with imposter syndrome. And so for us, we were, were looking at the toxicity of environments in which they reinforce not feeling good enough, competing with peers, making you feel like you constantly have to overprove yourself, making, making you feel like you have to be perfectionistic. Um, those kinds of work cultures are toxic for people who have imposter syndrome because they reinforce constantly this experience of you're a fraud, you don't belong, you're not good enough, why are you here. Um, And those were the ones we wanted to really examine. There's like many, many layers of toxicity, but this is the one that we focused on for the book. Um, You know, all of those ways of feeling, I think sometimes when we get into those ways, 
it is it is precisely in the moments when we most need to change yeah. that we feel the least agency to go out and and get that change. The least like we deserve it, the least like there is anything out there that is better than where we find ourselves. Yeah. And you talk about that a bit in the book as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, dealing with toxicity can be depleting. And so it can leave you with very little left to actually do the work that you need to be free and go where you need to go or go where you want to go. And I think that's one of the dangerous pieces about letting the toxicity go too long, because sometimes what you're dealing with is you have to actually recover from being in that toxic environment before you can even go. And that's really difficult to do it within kind of the operation of a toxic work environment. Many people that either reach out to me on, on social or like who I know will often say, like, I just had to quit the job. I just couldn't, I couldn't heal and be at the job. And that's such a hard thing because they have to make this economic choice. Like we live in this capitalist society that doesn't really allow for much flexibility around taking a long break that you need to heal. And so that's kind of part of the reason we're trying to help people identify these kinds of systems pretty early on so that you don't stay in them forever. I think the thing about existing within a system like that is that if you truly are within the system, then you are led to believe that it's you. It's not the system. It's yeah. you. You're the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's the thing that you you sort of identify as the thing people need to heal from. Yeah. But when you think it's you, how do you find the power to do anything different? What's coming to mind, and I'm just going to say it, which is, it is you. You don't belong in that toxic system, right? Like, if you belong, you become toxic with the system. If, that, if it stops bothering you, it's because you become a part of that system. But if it's bothering you, if it makes you feel like it's you, maybe it's you in a good way, in the sense that maybe you don't belong here. Maybe it's better for you to find a system that could see you in a in a, in a a healthier way that could allow you to be your full self and to really bring all your talents to the table and really show them in a way that they're proud of, they they highlight, they celebrate. I think that's such an important piece we're trying to also convey is that there are healthy systems, there are healthy workplaces, there are ways to be in a work environment that you can actually thrive and grow and be be everything you dreamed you could be. You know, I think capitalism at its worst forces a, a hierarchy, a ranking, and it says some people are good and some people are bad. Yeah. And I think that what is truer is that all people are worthy yeah. and that good systems allow all worthy people to thrive. Yes. And I think it can be challenging to strip away toxicity yeah. and get to the point where whatever it is that you bring to the table, you feel that you are worthy and belong to be at the table. Yeah. And I think that's fundamental. Like if you don't feel worthy at that table, you need to consider whether that you know, organization, that culture, that company really allows you to kind of really kind of show up as your full self. And I think that's so important. I mean, it's something we talk about in the book around psychological safety is the ability to show up as your full self, be able to bring contradictions, disagree, like to bring up like kind of the worst parts of things that people fear within a system. And you're still seen as valid, actually helpful, useful, as opposed to scary and problematic and troubling, you know. Yeah, exactly. You do a beautiful job of highlighting the connection between imposter syndrome and burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about burnout. Yeah, so chronic burnout is one of the most common correlates to to imposter syndrome because one of the parts of the cycle is that you're overworking to prove yourself, and so as a result of that, you're often you're often working at beyond one hundred percent, one hundred fifty, two hundred, three hundred. You're in places that are just completely not healthy to sustain over time, and the burnout becomes so normalized and so common for you, you don't sometimes even recognize that you're burnt out or chronically burnt out. 
And so it's it's such an important thing to kind of recognize the symptoms of burnout, you know, being irritable, feeling a sense of disconnection from work, feeling like you can't separate from work, feeling like you can't sleep. So all of these things, we just dismiss them as kind of a normal day or just being stressed. But sometimes they require the support, additional support to kind of help you to deal with that piece of the burnout. And then also, though, it, it does require dealing with the initial issues around imposter syndrome because if you heal your burnout, but you still continue to overwork to prove yourself, you just get caught in this unending cycle that just will just bring you back to the burnout eventually anyway. Right. Um, and as I think about that you know, toxic work culture and, and the way that burnout plays into that, if you just quit and if you just leave your job and you, by you know some miracle, can afford to do that and take the time, unless you then actually work on the healing part, You'll go find the same job. Yeah. It will be packaged differently. Yeah. The characters will have different names, yep. but they will all be there. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. That's sort of the repetition compulsion piece that I talk about is if, if you don't sort of figure it out, you won't know what questions to ask in an interview to figure out whether or not this is the right place for you or this is a healthier place. I see this so commonly when people start a new job and they're like, I am in my first 90 days. I need to prove myself. And I was like, maybe we have to have a different orientation to how your first 90 days go. Maybe it's not about proving yourself. Maybe it's assuming you are already proved. And let's try to figure out what this organization's about, what the role looks like. Let's take a different stance toward it because you are going to get engaged in the same exact behaviors that that were difficult for you the previous times around. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're talking perfectionism at work. Stick around. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. Imposter syndrome has a crappy friend and enabler. Perfectionism. Recognize that perfectionism isn't our friend. I think we often think that it has gotten us where we are. If it weren't for the perfectionism, I wouldn't be in this moment because I know how to work hard and I know how to get things absolutely right. 
But I think one of the things that becomes so important is recognizing that it also has a significant consequence to your life. It is also part of what is making you overwork because the expectations are so high and so potentially unattainable. It's also what, you know, kind of leads to feeling like other people aren't cutting it for you or kind of like are problematic for you because you also have a high standard for others. And so perfectionism can really prevent us from really being our human selves or ever tolerating our human selves. We have trouble really, when we are perfectionistic, really appreciating who we are in the here and now. If that person doesn't feel absolutely like at top notch, and oftentimes we're not at top notch. Very few moments, I can even point to my own life where I feel like I'm at like 100% or at top of the game. I have a lot going on. I'm, I'm often working really fast um, and I make a lot of mistakes. And before I would have often like edit and re-edit or like look at something a thousand times before I put it out there. And then when, sometimes it would never get out there because I had kind of gone over it or, or not gone over, not had time to go over it. And now because I want to be able to get some of my messages out, be able to talk more to people and do, I just get it out imperfectly. And sometimes there are mistakes in it. Sometimes there are issues because I have a lot in the social, because I have a largely perfectionistic audience, I often get very called out on yep. it yep. <laughs> and get called like not professional for having a typo or, but I, I really can tolerate the fact that if I didn't put it out in the way that I did with the mistake that I did, they would have never seen it at all. And the main message gets across anyway. And that for me is how I'm dealing with my perfectionism is really allowing myself to be human, make mistakes, be flawed, even publicly flawed. Um, and in some ways modeling that it's okay to just be human. I think that's so important as you're telling that story. I think about a mistake I made in 2017 in my personal newsletter where I wrote the name of a location that I said was in Egypt, but was actually in Turkey. And uh, here it is, 2022, and I don't think anybody this afternoon is is <laughs> out thinking about that and judging me yeah. as less of a person for that. Nope. And here's what's interesting about that to me. I, I've been on my own journey with perfectionism, particularly as a person who traffics in words for a living. I think a lot about grammar and misspelling and I, can, I, can I prove what I said and I've written it down. And um, I became a parent a few years ago, and that really shifted the amount of time I had to proofread. <laughs> Just took it away. And um, I resolved to just keep going. Yes. And what I discovered is that, yes, I would sometimes get more feedback than I used to. Like, hey, did you know, like, I'm from Egypt and therefore I can tell you that that is wrong, right? Um, but nobody so far has called me stupid apart from Twitter where I can tolerate it because, please, <laughs> it's it Twitter. Twitter. And, and then I flip it and I think, okay, who are the people who I respect out in the world, you being one of them? If I see a mistake they've made, does it make me think differently about them? And the answer is 100% never, right? When you flip <laughs> never. it, never. 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 It actually, to be honest, it makes me feel... It makes me feel human and connected. I feel greater connection when people make mistakes and are just human about them than I do when they're perfect. I feel very disconnected. I can't be perfect. I know I'll never reach that. I can't be connected to that concept. Right. I think that is that is that is so true. Um, so I want to spend a few minutes on how we identify and contribute to like healthy organizations. Yeah. We talk about sort of like psychological safety and this idea that we really need to all aim to create environments in whatever way we're participating in them. And we talk about leadership in the book, but we talk about all people who enter an organization who impact anyone is a leader. And so it's really important to think about the ways you're showing up to create a sense of safety for someone else, to create the sense that they can actually be participating in this organization as freely as they need to be in their human, authentic 
selves. And that, you know, not only can they just show up in the ways that, that you find to be, you know, positive and agreeing with you, but also when they're disagreeing with you, that you can still tolerate that and let them kind of be able to bring dissent to the table because dissent is so important to growth. One of the things that we find to also to be so important is to, to really view our colleagues and our direct reports with humanity, to see them as whole people, and to not really expect these perfectionistic notions from others as well, and to really be very careful about how we go about languaging or insinuating that people need to prove themselves when they're there. We, it's very common language. One saying that I really hate that um, I always rail up against is like, fake it till you make it. That is the most garbage statement. Do not ever say that to anyone and do not <laughs> believe that concept. It's really important to recognize you are not a fake. You are showing up as your authentic self in this moment. And it's okay if that authentic self is not perfect. You are not being fake. Because the problem with that statement is you're never going to ever not be faking it. Even yeah. when you make it, you're still going to feel like you're faking it if you actually have this conceptual notion. I think um, a better slogan, or at least the slogan that I personally adopt and try for, is show up. Just period. Just show, show up. up. Right? Yeah. How many things in our lives do we refrain from showing up for, um, either figuratively or literally? Yeah. So. Yes. So tell me, what do you want people to take away from this book? When we developed the book, what was the driving force to develop the book was when we had worked with many people through the first book, On Your Greatness, is really about an individual stance around what do I do to actually change this experience for myself? What we saw, not from everyone, but a significant group of people, was that they were able to do that work and they were able to feel good about themselves and know that they are valuable and know that they're not a fraud. But then they went into these work environments that reinforced their imposter syndrome and they're like, it is so hard. I'm struggling every day to keep the skills up. And they struggled with understanding how do I negotiate and deal with these environments in ways I can still retain my sense of self, my sense of value. And this book I hope people walk away with is a sense of agency and empowerment and being able to understand how to navigate these work environments, how to choose environments that are healthier, how to be a good leader, how to make sure that you hold on to the dreams that matter to you and make sure that environments support those dreams. And so I really hope they feel a sense of agency within the system. I think that's what we want most most of all. I love that. I just, that the idea that you have agency, that you can act and your actions can improve your situation for yourself and for others, others thinking yeah. about the way that you show up. Yeah. Like, as you're talking about this, as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about my own organization that I work within, I think about how much gender plays a role in this mm -hmm. and how much race plays a role in this and identity plays a role in this. And I'm wondering if imposter syndrome impacts people differently depending on, like, their level of privilege within an organization. Yeah, it's a great question. And so what the research has shown is that there aren't any significant differences yet um, found between race in terms of, like, a Gender, the data shows that there's no conclusive evidence that there's a that women experience it more than men, which is typically what you hear. But they do suggest that there are it shows up differently. So um, for cisgendered women, what what the data finds is that um, that women tend to be counterphobic, so they'll actually face the thing that they fear more proactively. So as a result, they're triggered more often for the imposter syndrome because they actually face the fear. They also spend more time on tasks when um, they get negative feedback. So that contributes to their level of overwork as well. And for cisgender men, what they find is that 
um, they tend to aim toward mastery. So as a result, they take less risks, they're triggered less often for their imposter syndrome, and they don't achieve as highly because they're not necessarily taking the risks and they pursue careers less often like STEM careers. There's data to show that they pursue STEM careers less when they have high imposter syndrome. We actually have a chapter in the book that is largely focused on the impact of identity on imposter syndrome, which I think is really important. Um, and sadly, um, that research is just beginning. So there's all kinds of interesting stuff just coming to the surface about race and about gender expression just happening like like literally like right now, like in the last <laughs> year or two. Yeah. Sad that it, we're not further along, but how great that it's happening. Yes. And um, it gives us all reason to continue to read you because I'm positive you will have interesting things to say about it as it comes to fruition. Well, it's important cool. to me. Um, thank you. Thank you for coming in. You're so welcome. That was Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin. Your Unstoppable Greatness is available now wherever books are sold. And before we sign off this week, I have two solid Hello Monday recommendations for you. Number one, if you're looking for a good read, I hope you'll check out my new memoir, The Family Outing. It's published by Harper One, a division of HarperCollins. And here's a fun fact. I also narrate the audiobook. So if you, like so many people I know, would prefer to listen to your books instead of read them, well, you can hear me read. Number two, if you are looking for something to watch, I mean binge watch here, I hope you'll check out Fleischman is in Trouble on Hulu. The star-studded cast of this drama includes Claire Danes and Jesse Eisenberg and our very own producer, Sarah Storm. That's right. Sarah features in three of the episodes. Guys, it's really good. And now for Office Hours. We're going to talk imposter syndrome this week. We're going to talk about it on Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on the LinkedIn news page or you can drop us an email at hellomonday at linkedin.com and we'll send you the link. Has this show helped you? If so, drop us an email or even better yet, write us a quick review on your favorite listening platform. Your efforts help us grow our community, and we deeply appreciate it. Hello Monday is a LinkedIn editorial production. Sarah Storm produces our show with mixing by Joe DeGiorgi. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dave Pond is head of news production. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor contribute to our thriving workplace culture. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I love, we have color coordinated our outfits today. I know, we I, don't I really, it's like very impressive. It's like we planned it. The day that we recorded, um, I was in a, a deluge of recording and sort of like losing track of time as as the pandemic did too. And I didn't know that we were we were recording together. And I got on, I got on the podcast and I saw a sound engineer and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like a little tiny podcast and I freaked out and I was just like oh my god get a hold of yourself <laughs> <gasps> wow I love knowing that I love knowing that